Hey everyone, this is Brian. I am jumping in before this episode uh, with a bit of a content warning, which we don't usually do, um, but you will see, I think, it is for very good reason, given current events. Um, we do talk in this episode about the indiscriminate killing of civilians and about someone perpetrating a genocide. Um, and obviously, given world events, you can hear um, all of us sort of reacting to it in the moment. And um, just wanted to give you a heads up before the show actually starts. Um, also, our guest, Andres, uh, fantastic. Uh, we did have a couple connection hiccups with him. Uh, we hopefully we edited out what we could, obviously. Um, but sorry about the couple little times that does happen. Uh, but it's a really fun episode, and I hope you are safe and enjoy. March 2nd, 1882. Queen Victoria narrowly escapes an assassination attempt and celebrates in grand Victorian fashion an absolutely raw fuckfest. Welcome to The Revisionist. I'm Brian Flynn, not doing a Dracula voice this time. I'm Zach Powers. And returning once again, friend of the show, you know him, you love him. He maybe even organized your workplace, uh, Andres Bessarel. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me, Brian and Zach. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, thank good you. Good for... I think it's what, COVID? I haven't seen you since COVID? Yeah, that sounds right. I've <laughs> between COVID and family stuff, I have barely left the house since 2019. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, I, I I don't live in the city you guys live in anymore. So yeah, up, that's true. Yeah, why why would why would you see me? I'm a thousand miles away. <laughs> Are you in a safe space? Uh. I guess I have two cats around me that usually like me. So that, that seems positive. <laughs> oh, they, they can turn on you in any moment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you are holding up today's newspaper. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I do that in every picture I take just in case it's the last one <laughs> for, for clerical proof. <laughs> I, I took my wedding engagement photos mm -hmm. uh, recently, and in every single one, I made sure I was holding the the newspaper that showed mm -hmm. today's date, just so people would know. You know, and of course, if I get assassinated by like uh, I don't know, say the IDF, um, <laughs> I, this is the day that uh, this is the day of the of the week. <laughs> Um, although statistically, no. <laughs> if they're your engagement photos, the most likely suspect is in the picture next to you. Um, but it's this true. isn't a podcast about murder. Um, well, sometimes it's, it is. It's about wedding photos. That's it's about wedding. That's right. Actually, this is, and to be frank, this is a podcast about both weddings and murder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Those are important facets in, uh, in both, uh, in history also tuberculosis uh, yeah of course frequent frequent guest on the show tuberculosis um listeners if you're new to the show um 
sorry, Zach, I stepped on your bit to do the introductory stuff. If you want to, no, no, jump no I on. was done. Okay. <laughs> Um, listeners, if you're new to the show, uh, each episode we take a topic from history. One person presents the official uh, Joe Biden-sanctioned version of events, and another person comes up with a bad shit alternate history that can be as out there as they want to be. It can be full-on Mars attacks, or it could be uh, just have a little twist in it it could be just a little bit uh what romancing the stone uh <laughs> trying to think of two of the most opposite movies i could um which is anyway uh we're doing okay uh we are i am i am surprised that you uh are are still using the phrase joe biden sanctioned as an accurate marker of truth but yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I meant it more facetiously, but yeah, that's uh oofa doofa. Um it's what a what a time for American democracy. Um but this podcast is not about the slow and gradual decline of our civic institutions. Uh it's about history and all all the fucked up people uh and sometimes it's like genuine i almost consider this person a monster uh <laughs> yeah just to of. be clear listeners if i have come off as a little uh aggressive today uh, this will be released a few days later something really bad happened today and uh it has been bothering me a lot so just so you know of did something pr or the world stuff oh world events yeah yeah the yeah yeah okay sorry i just wanted to check in no 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 worries we can go back cool uh we are in the middle of our series on the mexican revolution and last episode we covered francisco madero and the actual history won out on that. Um, and so thank you to Gabby Gutierrez-Reed for that. Uh, but this episode, I'm going to be doing the actual history on someone who I most people now sort of agree was basically the villain of the Mexican Revolution after a point. We talked about Porfirio Diaz on an earlier episode. Uh, but he sort of ceased to be a factor pretty early on. Uh, and that's not going to be true of this I feel guy. Like most of the people we've talked about have kind of vacillated between being villains and being heroes at, at different times. Yeah. And this is, I'm, I'm going to very much two face in the dark night, sort of. Yes. You either uh, die a hero or live long enough, et cetera. Yeah. Very, very much. Um, Walter White and people's perception of Walter White vibes. Yeah. Uh, and this guy, there are a number of uh, conflicting sources about, especially. We are talking about uh, General Victoriano Huerta, who, uh, and I will say before I forget, my sources for this episode, uh, a lot of it is 
Uh, Mike Duncan's fabulous podcast, Revolutions. I've recommended it in the past. I've used it a lot in the past. Uh, it's great. Um, and the book, The Mexican Revolution by Alan Knight, which is about what you would think it would be about. Um, but just to get the biographical stuff uh, out of the way. And we're also going to briefly apologize. My cat is running around and meowing loudly. So listeners, if you hear that, uh, he's a little shit. <laughs> Which one is this? Uh, Gizmo. Gizmo. Yeah, classic. Um, mm-hmm. So Victoriano Huerta was born in 1850 uh, in the rural village of Colotlan. Uh He was indigenous um like fully indigenous uh which i only mention now uh because of some of the um you know uh genocides they'll sort of lead later on um against other indigenous people um which is great this is sort of a time in mexican history where the racial caste system that we discussed earlier in the series is still hanging on but not as it's not as organized as it was um, under under the Spanish. So, like many many generations of young men, especially, uh, he enlists in the military to escape a life of village poverty. Um, and in the military, he got good at two things. Well, three things: math. And uh, shooting very large artillery guns, being two of them, and alcoholism being the third. Honestly, um, the most shocking one is the first one. The math, yeah, that's kind of yeah. I, the other two seem pretty commonplace for active military combatants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like this is also especially the time before like tank crews, so CTE was not as bad as it is after that um yeah but yeah what do you mean he was good good at math like yeah you said he was good at math or meth math yeah um yeah uh he may have been good at meth that did not that did not come up uh it seems like he he could have been like an early adopter though sure yep um but yeah that was what's that this is the true history? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we could sprinkle right. some meth in th- throughout the... Yeah, sure. <laughs> we could keep that meth in our back pocket. Um, don't do that. It'll go bad. So meth was invented in... Methamphetamine was invented in 19, uh, 1893. So conceivably, huh. he was very good at meth. Is this the right time frame? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I... Born in 1850, so like he could have intersected with meth at some point. 1893, what the fuck? No. Yeah, okay. Um, well, that is good to know. Um, but yeah, his, his alcoholism got, uh, his other d- drug addiction uh, got so bad, but by the time he was in his like 50s, he couldn't even, he couldn't do things like go outside without sunglasses. Um, like he he was shaking constantly um a lot of um a lot of his contemporaries and subordinates later would comment that his teeth were like actively rotting in his mouth uh <laughs> he drank so much 
Um, despite this, he managed to get married and have 11 children, um, which is a That's, lot. You know, and that takes time. Yeah, that takes at least 99 Unless you get like an octomom situation like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's weird for a girl to have more teeth than their dad. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's just borrowing like the cold teething ring, but he's soaking yeah. it in, I presume, Everclear. Yeah. Like, well, they're the first invented meth. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> it probably that probably was made for kids or like at some point someone was like we can use this meth for kids somehow it was truly a hudsucker proxy (laughs) (laughs) oh man um as a military officer he idolized napoleon and liked uh, the aforementioned porfirio diaz um because Huerta came to believe very deeply that Mexico needed what he called a strong man to lead it. Um, and he, he eventually, he retired from the military uh, for health reasons in 1905. Um, but then during the first phase of the revolution, uh, sort of in the uh, early 1910s, uh, he came out of retirement uh, to oppose Diaz. And this is the first time that he switched sides. Uh, and it hmm. will not be the last. Um, he mainly opposed Diaz uh, because Diaz had been in power for decades at this point and was losing his grip and was too old to hold office, which is a, a buckwild thing to say. Um in 2024 um but Huerta was like a stalwart like conservative he was like a military man and he took like a special interest once he joined Francisco Madero's army in suppressing the more radical elements of the revolution um like he attacked like allied armies he attacked um a a rebellion led in Morelos by uh, led by Zapata and um, accused Pancho Villa of uh, accused him of stealing a horse and had him like in front of a firing squad and like about to execute Pancho Villa before an official pardon like arrived from Madero like just in time. Um, but he developed a lifelong antipathy towards especially VN Zapata, but really any sort of more radical, more democratic force uh, within the Mexican Revolution. Um, so he, <clears throat> excuse me, he eventually did turn against Francisco Madero. And a lot of that, we're going to focus on s- something called the 10 tragic days uh which despite its name was actually like 13 days um we touched on it's this a little we've sort of touched on yeah in previous yeah, we, episodes we touched on it a bit especially in the francisco madero episodes um but there was essentially 
a coup attempt against President Madero after he had won power uh, that was led by this General Bernardo Reyes and uh, Felix Diaz, Porfirio Diaz's uh, brother, nephew. I did not write that down, but a, a familial relation. Reyes and Diaz break out of jail. We don't know. This is one of the areas where a lot of sources really disagree. Um, we don't know precisely when, within the 10 tragic days, Victoriano Huerta switched sides from Madero to the Reyes, uh, the Reyes uh, Diaz conspiracy. It could have been that he was already in it, like from the go. It could have been like right at the very end. Uh, I have the point where I sort of think it happened, but we'll get there. Um, so once Reyes and Diaz break out of jail, they they do a thing where they try to capture the National Palace with a group of like young army cadets. And they're like wheeling a cannon through the streets of Mexico City like early in the morning. And a loyal general happens to be just like out on a walk and sees and is like, that doesn't look right. Um, and raises the alarm. And that's how the sort of early stage of the coup gets thwarted. Uh, Reyes is killed that morning, pretty much, actually, like walking up the steps of the palace. Um, but pretty soon after the alarm goes up, Madero and his loyal troops uh, fortify themselves at the Palace of Fine Arts in Mexico City, which was under construction at the time. Um, Huerta takes a detachment of troops and heads to the Palace of Fine Arts and offers his service. Um, again, he might be even in the conspiracy at this point, but because um, uh, because Madero's favorite general is not available to take command, Madero gives Huerta command of the defense of Mexico City. That is on February 9th. February 10th, the rebels start to dig in at the National Armory, um, and they're taking their time, they're fortifying, they're getting guns, and Huerta, as the leader of the defense, does nothing to dislodge them. Uh, this is basically, I think he's a traitor from the beginning, uh, and if he is not by the very beginning, he certainly is by February 10th. Uh, February 11th, the artillery battle for Mexico City commences. Um, and it's mainly the National Palace loyal troops versus the rebel troops fortified in the in the armory. And both of those are about a mile and a half away from each other. So not that far. Um, and they start they just start shelling. Some again, some people debate whether this was a tragic accident, whether it was intentional. It was intentional, I think. Um, none of the shells from either side actually land on their supposed targets. They're landing almost entirely in civilian areas, um, which again, listeners, if you're listening to this, I will put a content warning at the top of this episode for, for that, given what's happening in the world right now. This is also like the first fighting that Mexico city has seen the whole of the revolution. Uh, most of it has been out elsewhere um the theory that i believe is most credible is that both sides are doing this intentionally 
to increase the pressure on Francisco Madero to resign and bring an end to the fighting. And Huerta and Diaz were both very conservative and had more in common than they did with Madero. And Huerta also, like I mentioned earlier, good at math, good at drinking, and also very good at firing artillery. So there's no reason he would be missing a target that is that close. So that battle continues for about five days. Um, and there are thousands, tens of thousands probably of civilian casualties in that time. Um, then we get to February 16th when Huerta and Diaz agree to a brief ceasefire uh, to, in theory, bury the dead. But the city's like still under siege and this is the last plausible day people can say where to switch sides uh because at some point throughout the day of the 16th where to and diaz get together and they make a plan to topple madero um and where to sends a communique to uh, U.S. Ambassador Henry Lane Wilson, uh, who we also mentioned on another, on a couple other episodes, who very early on was very against Madero, considered him basically a Satanist, um, not a Satanist, but like the Antichrist almost, um, and wanted him gone. And so on the 16th, where to send a message to him that's like, hey, I got a plan. Don't worry. Um, so the 18th, they launched their coup. Uh, Huerta has lunch with Gustavo Madero, Francisco's brother. And during lunch, it's a very godfather type thing. Huerta gets up to use the bathroom. And as soon as he does, soldiers rush in and arrest, uh, arrest Gustavo. Uh, at the same time, they swarm the National Palace. Not as bad as the godfather. Not as bad as the godfather. Yes. No. Um, yeah. And he said it. I was expecting something way, way cooler. Instead way of cool. just like, you're arrested just like, now. Yeah, you're getting arrested. In- it's true. I guess the only thing they have in common is someone goes to the bathroom, which is also, you can say that about many of the videos on Pornhub. Like, that's true in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, yeah. The comments on Pornhub are littered with people saying, oh, Godfather-esque. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever uh, they're fucking on a boat, it's like reminds me of when Michael killed um, whatever the <laughs> s- the stupid one was, uh, <laughs> Fredo. Fredo, you were my Fredo. I now I'm just picturing like an alternate like title credit sequence for The Godfather, where it's like very sitcom esque, and like there's freeze frames, and it says Fredo, the stupid one, um, and. Sunny, the, I mean, the the piece of shit. I think actually the idea of a sitcom based on the characters of The Godfather is potentially hilarious. Yes, <laughs> where Sunny is just angry all the time, and Fredo like never understands what's going on, and Michael is basically Michael from Arrested Development. Yeah, I'm yeah just, I mean, um. Sorry, what was that, Andres? I think you guys just described the rest of development. Yeah. Pretty much the Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Lucille Bluth. Um, I would honestly, I would watch that 
endlessly, probably. So simultaneously, uh, Huerta's soldiers swarm the National Palace, kill Francisco Madero's bodyguards and capture him. Um, and this is around this time, like that evening, the evening of the 18th, uh, Huerta and Diaz meet at the U.S. Embassy with Henry Lane Wilson and form uh, what's called the Embassy Pact, which is one of the sort of most famous underhanded diplomatic deals of the 20th century, which is saying something. Because um, basically, Diaz was originally operating under the assumption that he would become president um, and Huerta wanted to be president himself. Uh, and that was sort of, he was sort of counting on that as a condition of joining Diaz's side. Um, so Henry Lane Wilson brokers a deal between them where Huerta would become interim president and then call for new elections and then support uh, Felix Diaz, which they do some constitutional shenanigans. Diaz and his supporters are thrilled at first. Um, somewhere in the days between uh, the coup being officially sanctioned and the supposed transfer of power, uh, Madero is killed, like we talked about in the previous episode. Um, and then... Huerta does something entirely unexpected, uh, which is he betrays Felix Diaz again. Um, they all expected Huerta to step aside and not run in the election against Diaz. And he was like, no, I changed my mind. Um, he forms an alliance with um, General Orozco, uh, who is another sort of not as conservative general, but not as radical as Zapata. Um, Zapata hates Huerta. Zapata and Madero didn't always get along. Um, and we'll get way more into this when we do our Zapata episodes. Um, but Zapata always rejects Huerta and he is going to be at war with Huerta and his successors for the next decade almost. Um, but Huerta assumes the presidency. Uh, Felix Diaz is exiled pretty much. Um, not like officially, but he's he's told that it would be very good for his health if he were to leave. Um, so he becomes president. Um, Zapata's continuing his like agitation on the countryside. Um, and Huerta's regime is, you may have guessed, very repressive. Uh, they ar arrest and execute dissidents left and right. Um, there was at some point uh, between like the overthrow of Madero and Huerta becoming president, the U.S. administration changed from uh, Taft to Wilson. So this would have been 1913, actually. Um, and Woodrow Wilson, for all of his many flaws... Uh, mainly being a huge piece of shit, uh, did not recognize the Huerta government. Uh, he found it was illegitimate. Um, and Huerta tried to play this off as a way of gaining popular support, um, mainly 
sort of playing off the uh, Benito Juarez quote, uh, like poor Mexico so far from God, so close to the United States. Um, and just saying like, this is more Yankee interference. Um, the, and that like, it didn't quite work for him. He never really had the popular support he envisioned for himself. Um, the U.S. pretty quickly levels an arms embargo against all sides in the Mexican Revolution. Um, and to sort of try to make up some strength, Huerta starts doing uh, forced conscription. Usually, of course, the way this goes uh, is they draft poor workers and uh, indigenous people and who they of course loved their commanders. No, they didn't. They, they killed a lot of their own commanders, which is kind of fucking great. In October of 1913, the, um, sorry, I wrote this down a while ago. Tlona, Pantla regiment, apologize. Um, murdered murdered their officers and joined rebel forces um which is great um there was however a separate war against an indigenous tribe called the yaqui uh, and this is where Huerta orders his troops to commit genocide uh basically orders the entire destruction of the yaqui people um which it is an absolute massacre um not all the Yaki are killed, but many, many, many of them are. Um, and Huerta does this a lot under the banner of like Mexican nationalism and wanting to sort of eliminate the idea of these different indigenous ethnicities and create this one thing called Mexico and Mexican. Um, but that was not a thing, especially in rural areas. Uh, like for centuries, people have been identifying like by their own nations and their own cultures rather than, you know, whatever Spain at first, and then, you know, the Mexican empire and things like that. Um, so there were also, and this is a thing that you always want to hear uh, a lot of wealthy uh, Hacendados and landlords uh, raising their own armies from their tenants, uh, which on the upside got a lot of landlords killed. Uh, so the people love to see that. Um, but Huerta's biggest, I mean, not moral, not moral fuck up, because that was probably the genocide, um, but his biggest strategic fuck up was uh he canceled a lot of foreign debt payments that he just couldn't afford to pay um which meant pissing off a lot of european nations and the united states uh which eventually led to the united states army occupying the city of veracruz uh there were a couple things that went into that uh we're planning to do an episode on this fully, so I'm not going to get into it now. Um, but between the arms embargo against Huerta and the new diplomatic pressure, the U.S. lifts 
the embargo for the rebels. Uh, so Pancho Villa, Zapata, um, they start getting a bunch of guns from the U.S. And there are other forces, uh, especially in the north of Mexico, uh, led by uh, Venustiano Carranza, that he sort of takes the lead of the anti-Huerta opposition. And this all culminates in the Battle of Zacatecas, which is probably the greatest military victory from the rebels in the entire uh, Mexican Revolution. It's It pretty much crushes Huerta in one blow, and he is forced to go to exile. Uh, he goes to Jamaica, uh, the UK, Spain, and ends up uh, in April 1915 in the U.S. So while he is in the U.S., uh, and this is where things start to intersect with World War One, because as we've discussed, the Mexican Revolution fucking touches like everything in this in this time. Um, he meets at a hotel in Manhattan. He meets with an officer from German naval intelligence. Um and he is offered money uh, in exchange for arranging U-boat landings from Germany uh, in Mexico uh, in order to attack the U.S. Um, and part of the deal was that he would also raise a Mexican army to fight the war with the Germans against the U.S., um, which, um, and would also like divert some of the supply shipments going to the allies in Europe. Um, and this meeting is being spied on, uh, because of course it is, it's 1915, everything is being spied on. Um, and so he's arrested getting off a train in New Mexico on the way to try to launch another coup. Um, and so he's thrown in prison uh, at Fort Bliss, and he dies there uh, not long after, uh, like a few months after that, uh, either of either of cirrhosis from drinking, which is definitely plausible, uh, cancer, or uh, some people conjecture that he was poisoned, whether by... Uh, forces loyal to the revolution, whether by the U.S. Um, I, to me, it's sort of like it's sort of an Epstein thing to me, where like I could see people wanting to kill him, but it's also like so easy for me to believe that he he died like because he lived a terrible life, and in Epstein's case, killed himself. And in uh, Huerta's case, drank himself to death over the course of decades. Um, so, yeah, he is he's sort of remembered today. Like I said, he's the demon of the revolution. Like he is the great villain of the piece. And a lot of the focus of the revolution itself goes from Porfirio Diaz and the repression and authoritarianism of his reign and more on the 
uh, sort of military strongman repressive rule of Victoriano Huerta. And that is the true story of General Victoriano Huerta. Okay. Well, uh, then uh, there's nothing left but to transition to the alternate take on on uh, his story. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Victoriano Huerta was a uh, Mexican luchador from the 90s. Uh, didn't get a lot of popularity in their time. Um, they went under many names, including uh, their actual name. Um, like I said, Vicky Huerta as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vic Huerta, Vance Holdem, um, <laughs> and Vegas Baby. Uh, there was also a as Tori Anos, and that didn't really catch for whatever reason. Uh, but they <laughs> wait. Did you say Tori Anus? Yeah, yeah, Anos. Yeah, that was oh, his, Anos. So not mine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I went under different trying to find the right gimmick. Uh, was constantly linked to having a uh, ex- exotico luchador style, so tend to dress in drag. Uh, mm-hmm. went by El Chacal, um, which was the jackal, and would wear tons of cheap furs, never one of an actual jackal, though, uh, you know, which disappointed <laughs> any of um, But he spent most of the early 90s into the uh, mid-2000s uh, wrestling up and down Mexico under all sorts of different names and in different companies until uh, he got enough popularity that he accepted an offer uh, in 97 with uh, NJPW, um, which was really exciting for him because he thought he had at least made some sort of breakthrough mm-hmm. uh, going to another uh, country. Um, was under the impression it was New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, did not check the fine print and actually ended up in a much smaller company called New Jamaica Pro Wrestling. Oh, no. Which was, uh, <laughs> a lot of the confusion. But he... He went anyways. He got there, found out that he was not going to be in Japan wrestling, but mm-hmm. in Jamaica. He made a career of it. He spent the next 20 years in Jamaica just doing pro wrestling, uh, held the heavyweight title of uh, New Jamaica Pro Wrestling for uh, six times, which was a record um, that has not yet been beaten. Oh, wow. Eventually, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, lost it six times as well. But, you know, um, the weird thing is he lost it uh so quick most of the time one time he lost it within three days of having the championship so that was kind of sucky so <laughs> uh, again it wasn't that he wanted to be but you know made a name for himself over the, that 20 year career eventually he ended up um you know retiring uh after after he heard himself in the ring and he started the first uh successful fraudulent hoa scam in jamaica <laughs> <laughs> of multiple neighborhood HOAs and collected money and mm-hmm. he himself would mow the lawns whenever people would start to get suspicious <laughs> and and he would use and he ended up using that money to fund a pro wrestling school in Jamaica where he could help teach other people uh how to be pro wrestlers uh, it wasn't very successful that's why he had to fund it with his fraudulent HOA money um, <laughs> This is this is way more heartwarming already. I could tell you than than the yeah, original. It's true. Yeah. 
Luckily, he he was caught. Obviously, uh, you know when the lawns weren't being mowed, and uh, you know, he had best. And instead of doing jail time, uh, he opted to run away, and he moved to uh, good old <laughs> U.S. of A. Um, Sorry, I'm just here. picturing that like in in like an RPG. Like, what are you gonna do? Jail time or run away? Just like the two the two options. <laughs> So, uh, Baldur's Gate uh, <laughs> options. Yeah. <laughs> he moved here, you know, survived COVID. Uh, <laughs> like, a masked luchador. So it made sense. <laughs> he had no problem masking up, heard it. And <laughs> about, he's got to be like 55, 56 now. And when I met him, uh, he, you know, I, he told me this story after he was late delivering ramen um, from mm. Cornerstone. I, he was my yeah. uh, Uber Eats guy, and you know I was upset because <laughs> I'd been waiting. And yeah, well past the time it said it was going to be delivered, and nobody was answering his message. Forty-five minutes pass. You know I get a finally knock on the door, and you know I, I I don't say anything to him about it. You know, and and before I close the door and just eat my cold ramen. You know, he tells me, hey, 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 wait, wait, um, you know, sorry, it was late. Um, you know, uh, is there any chance I could get a big tip, though? Uh, things really haven't been going my way. And I said, what could possibly be going on in your life that things aren't going your way? <laughs> and, I, and, I, you know, and after that, you know, I had to, you know, gave him, you know, 25% tip, which is 5% more than I usually do. Oh, and wow. I thought that was pretty everything, you know, um, and then. I opened it and it wasn't even my fucking ramen. So. <laughs> it was show you ramen, which is fucking bullshit. Yeah, it was bullshit. And, and that's why I, I will never order from uh, Uber Eats again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Andres, thank you. I d- yeah. I, I do love love is not the word but just like whenever you meet someone who is like vastly overqualified for the menial fucking job they have to take when they come to the u.s is yeah it's a it's mind-boggling and it's a common story maybe maybe not that they're all luchadors but you know definitely Mm -hmm. you know you come here and you were, you know, usually it's weird that this is supposed to be like the land of opportunity. And most people come here and they're like, I used to be a king. <laughs> you know, I was a, no, it's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, Andres, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having Before we move on to the judgment phase, uh, I just want to say, hey, something we would love if you did is uh, review the show on iTunes, especially, uh, or your podcast app of choice uh a five-star written what's that are you asking me to do that no 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 i mean yeah if you want but the audience in general uh that'd be so weird to fucking put you on the spot like that um yeah you're like change the the share screen on go to your itunes yeah yeah actually no just give me your password give me um Uh, written reviews are super helpful. It's like literally the number one way uh, podcasts like ours get found. And uh, listen, I'm not going to get too much into it, uh, but 
I recently started getting harassed online by a bunch of NIMBYs, and so uh, I am very worried about my online reputation. Um, it's fine, because fuck them, uh, and they're super queer and transphobic, um, but you know, if you if you want to throw us a positive review, uh, I've been trying to get I feel like a lot of the negative ones have been taken down. Um, but if you want to throw us a positive review to help offset that, that'd be much appreciated. Um, and yeah. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. You can always also uh, write us a letter, ask us a question at revisionistpodcast.com. Uh, just use the contact form on the top of the website or follow us on Instagram. The... <laughs> One social media account uh, we still have left, even though it's still run by Mark Zuckerberg. Um, there are no good options for social media um, right now. Hopefully, Blue Sky fucking takes off or something. Andres, you have uh, you're going to be uh, on stage coming up soon, uh, March 23rd, correct? Yeah, March 23rd, Grandma's house and. Inglewood, Colorado. I don't know how far your uh, your uh, listeners, uh, you know, are out. But if you're in uh, Colorado State and you are uh, around Inglewood, I suggest you go to Grandma's house. It's always busy, whether there's a show or not, which is mm -hmm. awesome. That means they got good beer uh, if you like drinking. Uh, but yeah, so Grandma's house on the 23rd. I think show starts around 9 p.m. Grab a seat uh, early because it does get packed out. Yep. And just a general plug for Andres, his, your stand-up is, you're a certified goofball, and I love it. Um, yeah, get listeners, if you ever get a chance, just go see him. Um, as, for, as for me, I will plug, I'll just plug, uh, like I've mentioned in the past, uh, some local mutual aid groups, Mutual Aid Monday, especially which friend of the show, Jen Colick, does a lot of work for, uh, and Food Not Bombs Denver, or wherever you're listening, your local Food Not Bombs, uh, make a donation, uh, cook some food, drop it off, come do distros, uh, whatever you want. Uh, it's a great way to make sure people get fed and get the supplies they need um, and things like that. Yeah, in terms of the judgment uh, phase, uh, you know, I guess truly it comes down to the fact that today I prefer I prefer the sillier story. Yep. Like I am, that's it. That's all it is. Today I'm in the mood for the silly story about uh, Uber Eats. Yes. Um, so I am going to vote for that one. I think that was also um, the first alternate story we've had that had like personal interaction in it, which I was a big fan of. Yeah, that's true. Inserting yourself as a character. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a that's a novel idea. That is maybe a first time on this show. Yeah. And also, fuck Victoriano Huerta. <laughs> yeah. Fine. I'm glad he had a, a, a bad life in both accounts. Yeah. He's he's like the epitome of like if like if you if you're dating someone that like they they cheated on their previous partner to get with you, like don't trust them. That sort of thing. <laughs> For sure. 
yeah, that's that's basically that, but also with like artillery cannons involved. Uh, Andres, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Uh, I will see y'all soon. Yeah, uh, Zach, thank you as always. Of course. Uh, for everyone here at the Revisionists, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. Have a good time. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Have a good time.